to the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. Nobody from Cleveland and then nobody from Pittsburgh. Probably not. Yeah. So for those for those of you that are Steelers fans or Browns fans, I really apologize uh, for picking this picking this time. Uh, we got Paul Miles just gave us loud and loud and clear. He's on the line. So I apologize if you're a Steelers fan or you're a Browns fan because tonight is a playoff. It's the wild card weekend, so critical wild card game. But we'll catch that on the replay. And uh, for those who are watching the game, you can catch this on the replay. Which is the old grab podcast with. Our classmate Vince Decay, Company A1, armor officer, very distinguished career in Hollywood. Probably not the typical path that you see for West Point graduates uh, following a career or following a service in, in the Army. So, Vince, welcome. Welcome to the Old Grab Podcast. Thanks for thanks. joining. Hey, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. This is, I'm uh, really honored that you picked me. This is cool. Yeah, well, thanks for doing it, man. I, I you know, um, the reason well, you and I were connecting actually following the tragic loss of our classmate, which is still recent and very much a part of uh, our memories, which uh, Anthony DeToto. And so we were connecting about that and then back and forth. We're like, you'd be tremendous guests for the Old Grab podcast. And, and thankfully, you accepted uh, the invitation. So thank you. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, so give me the rundown. Like, where are you? What do you do? What's the setup? Like you mentioned, uh, you're you're in LA, I think, right? So, so give me the whole lay of the land. Yeah, so I I'm in LA. Um, I just moved to the beach uh, with my girlfriend Sarah, and um, we are. She sold her condo, and we're in this little apartment for a year. We're gonna save up, and then hopefully, when it clears up, we're gonna move over to to Europe. We're we're thinking. Paris, but it's hard to move to Paris. So potentially Amsterdam. Amsterdam's a, a, a possible destination. They 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 allow Americans in, no problem. Um, I've been sort of pivoting. So I've been um, I started a coaching, a performance and creative coaching business called Stay on Your Path, and I've been coaching my whole life. Really, I've been coaching since I was sixteen. I've been mentoring a lot of people and I decided I just really wanted to do this in a more formal setting and help people, particularly after I had gone through a ton of depression. I, um, like in 2014, something like that's where it kind of started. But I think I've always had sort of like a low grade depression my whole life and you know I it's gonna get a little dark but I tried to commit suicide or suicide in in 2019 right before my birthday um and I wasn't successful um and then I something happened and I, I was invited to go to to um, Costa Rica by a, a dear friend in in the film business and we went to a um uh a butterfly sanctuary or a, like a like a waterfall area and this butterfly sanctuary there were like a thousand butterflies just in this like 
sanctuary where this net went up to like a thousand feet high and I sat down and I was just distraught about my life. And this butterfly just lands on my lap. And I just sat there uh, and it wasn't startled. It wasn't, didn't feel like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing on this, in your lap? He, it just stood there and then walked on my lap for five minutes and I just stared at it and I put my hand out and it walked in, into my hand. And I remember feeling that, this feeling of, uh, that's exactly how I wanna feel as often as I can for the rest of my life. And so ever since then, I just been taking inventory of the things that don't come close to that feeling. And, you know, I've been being in the film business for so long, I've been trying to find my authentic creative voice. And I sort of finally discovered it. And I've just this finally realized that I wanted to help other people. And I've been helping other people. I've been mentoring them for so long, mentoring people, young people for so long, coaching. I was a, you know, I was a coach in, in gymnastics when I was 16. Um, so yeah, I'm doing that um, with this coaching program. Uh, I'm helping a startup production company. They're doing a live action anime. So they're taking Japanese anime and doing live action versions of that anime. They're, they want to be the, the, the marvel of anime, of live action anime. So I'm ne negotiating to be their head of, uh, head of production for that. I'm writing a memoir about my time in Paris when I was struggling through depression. So that that's that's what I'm doing. So that's yeah, that's where I'm at. So Vince, I'm just blown away by your humility and um, vulnerability, and thank you for sharing that. I mean, this is a powerful topic, as you know. Um, we have lost more than more than a couple classmates who have who have died by suicide. So for you to bravely talk about how you have had this difficult journey and you're on the you're on the, the, the better side of that. So thank God for that. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the, so the, the Costa Rica trip that was after this event where you had, where you had tried suicide or was it? it, it yeah, was yeah. It, it was literally a week after. So March 28th is my birthday, March 27th. I'm going to get a little graph here, I guess. I walk into the garage and I had just had it. So what happened is 2016, I go to Paris on a whim through some opportunity that just came to me, spent three months there wandering, trying to figure things out, knowing that I wanted to change my life. Um, you said 20, but 2015 was a pivotal year for you too. That was what you said. You got the tattoo in 2015, right? The, you, yeah, the stay on your path tattoo, this one, yeah. Yep. And you said that that was a pivotal year. Like you would like things had just not gone your way in 2015, right? That was yeah, like, so I got this tattoo. It says stay on your path because I, I, I was, um, I had just finished this directing fellowship at Disney. And it was at a, it was a time when I thought I had gone through a portal. I had made it finally. I was going to direct television and films and I was headed toward wanting to tell my stories, right? But all my life, 
I was hearing these just voices of negativity and I couldn't do it. And, you know, distractions, lack of confidence, lack of synchronicity, lack of connection. And so I, I got this tattoo thinking that it was maybe ceremoniously going to tell me you've got to stay on your path somehow. You've got to focus on what is important to you, not on everybody else. And I didn't know how to do it. And as, as soon as I got this tattoo, my path unraveled. I had, um, I was engaged at the time with uh, a lovely a woman named Julia. We were together for nine years. We had, we had tried IVF. We were trying to have a baby. We tried IVF five times, didn't take. Um, I had to suddenly break up with her because it was painful for me to see her having to deal with me with a lot of depression. Mm -hmm. because depression is such a, such a weird monster. One day you feel great. One day you don't feel great and you don't know why. And you just feel this weight on you. And, and a lot of it is just, you, you, you start to feel that things are, at least for me, this is, so this is me talking about depression, not, other people's depression, just my experience with it. So mm -hmm. I would just go through this, these moments of, um, I can't do this. Life's not going well for me. What's the point? What's the point of talking to people? What's the point of even trying? I felt like my whole life, I was climbing up this ladder. And then we fall back down, like a kind of like a, like a, like a real time Sisyphus kind of tale. Mm -hmm. going up the hill up the hill up the hill and then coming right back down not big and i didn't know what was going on I, I couldn't figure it out and and the thing was too is that it was so hard for me to i had to put on a great face for everybody because nobody wants to no, nobody wants an eeyore to be around them right so you just sort of like you try to put on a good face and then some, and it, it's exhausting. So then you want to go home and you just want to be in bed for days on end. And then you got to get up again and you got to talk to people and people, you know, they don't want to, it, it, people are very sweet. They, they want to help, but honestly, it's hard to hang out with somebody who is constantly dour, constantly depressed, constantly seeing things in a negative way. So I was so I had to withdraw. And then, so anyway, so I broke up with my fiance in 2016. And then I got this opportunity to go to Paris. It was one of these, it was a situation in which I was, I, uh, my friend, uh, she was a writer, um, Katya, her, she's French. She came to LA with her family, with her husband and her kid. And I met them for dinner. And I remember thinking, I didn't want to meet them for dinner, but I knew that every time, I know that every time I see Katis, something cool happens because she's, uh, she's a bit of a wild child. So I just knew that I was at the very least going to get entertained. And so I drove for an hour and a half. We had to go, I had to drive through traffic. And I remember thinking that day, I do not want to be here. I do not want to be here. And I had to force myself to drive. And it was on that day she said, hey, I have, I have an apartment, my, my tenant is leaving. Do you know anyone who might want to stay in my apartment long-term? And I thought about it for two seconds. I said, I don't know anybody. 
and I said, how long does it, how long can you stay in Paris? Like how long can one stay in Paris? She says, I think three months. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And it opened the floodgates. So then, you know, I was seeing, I was seeing a therapist at the time. And so our whole thing was about embracing the unknown, embracing the unknown and finding my authentic voice, whatever that was. And so I'm, you know, I am naturally a systems engineer in my head, right? I mean, even we're, we kind of all are, if you're, if, you, if you're someone who likes to achieve things, you, you take the goal and you reverse engineer it, right? And even if, even if you don't know all the, all the steps it takes to reach that goal, you, ha- you know that you can reverse engineer it with some steps along the way. And then you start and then you go and try to achieve those goals. In this particular case, finding my authentic voice, finding who my authentic self. I was basically starting all over and I didn't, it was so... Um, uh, discombobulating for me because I, I, I didn't know how to look for it. There was no light. There was no anything. And I remember my therapist saying, it doesn't matter that you, you, you got to stop seeing things from a linear standpoint. You have to see things that even if you go backward, you're still going forward. Because if you're in a three-dimensional space, from where you stand, you're still going forward, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't under, I couldn't grasp that. You know, I, I could grasp the, the ideas of taking two steps backwards, one step forward, three steps backwards, that kind of thing. But as, a, as someone living that space, I didn't know how to do that. So, you know, I went to Paris for three months and I came out of Paris having discovered that I wanted to be in Paris more. I, I was finding a little bit about my my voice but ultimately I didn't know where I was going I came back home more depressed because I didn't I, yeah, I didn't have anything tangible I didn't have anything tangible that I could go to where I would like I was reading all these books I was reading this you know the Mark you ever read the Mark Manson um uh I forget that he well, anyway he, he had the, he had a book about um he had a book about goal setting or, 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 or pursuing your, pursuing your future. And I, it didn't connect with me. So I came home. I didn't have a home. I had just broken up with my fiance. And then um, I was trying to figure out my career again. I didn't want to be an assistant director because that's what I was doing for my whole life. Um, and then in 2017, um, I had a mini stroke. And uh, so what happened with that? I mean, so you, you had a like, were you like, like staying up really late at night, or like, were you? No. Running? Here's the thing. I'd gone to a U2 concert in San Diego the night before. Right. I had one. Which, by the way, we're going to talk about YouTube because you're a huge YouTube fan, and we, there's there's people commenting in the feed about how they love your YouTube con YouTube uh, poster in the background. So we're going to talk a little bit. When, when we're going to talk a little. I promise you, this is not going to all be talking about. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> 
yeah no but, but again like you, you're so like I, this is a powerful story that we need to talk about but um so we want to talk about you two also but so you just gone to a u2 concert and i had gone to a u2 concert in san diego two hours away it was right. the joshua tree tour i had gone with my uh, with our classmate pat domang who was okay. a B B1, he who were Janaz's classmates. Mm -hmm. And I I had one beer um, on a joint mm -hmm. and um, came back home. And the next morning at 10 in the morning, I got, I, I couldn't get up. You know, have you, ever, have you ever been like so smashed that you're like, oh my God, I can't get up, right? You're wasted. But I not only had one beer, but I couldn't get up and I, I didn't understand what was going on. And then I, tr I tried to talk out loud and I was talking like this. Oh, yeah, no. Was anybody with you? Were you alone? I was by, by myself. No, really? So I called my, 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 my ex-fiance, Julia. And she goes, stop fucking with me. And, and I'm not you. Can you imagine? And I have... So what about your hand? Like, were you able to use your hands and everything okay? I could, my, my, the only thing I could use is my left hand. Everything else was basically oh dead. Except wow. for my brain and my eyes and breathing. Uh -huh. I had full capacity. There was, no, there was no indication at all that I was having the stroke. Like, there was no, I wasn't feeling numb, red. I wasn't feeling hot. I wasn't whatever it was just that i couldn't speak so i had to push myself off the bed i called 911 um and then the ambulance was going to come and in the meantime i just laughed so remember 2016 i'm in paris a year goes by i'm struggling with depression thinking about ways i could come to, to disappear off the earth and i'm in my boxers and here it is. I'm about like all it, what could happen is just basically my eyes are going to close and that'll be it. And I just started laughing because I thought, wow, this whole time I've been worried about how or thinking about how I was going to disappear. And it was just going to happen to me right after a YouTube show. Wow. First thing I did. So and here's the thing. The ambulance comes. They take me into the ambulance. Two hours later, I'm fine. Hmm. They wanted to take me in. They keep me for, you know, just to, just to make sure everything was okay. And when people ask, when people ask me after I had that mini stroke, you know, what, what, what it, you know, are you changing your diet? Did you, you know, I, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing anything drastic drastic i wasn't you know i wasn't um i wasn't drinking a lot i wasn't sort of you know i wasn't blowing snorting a lot of coke i wasn't sort of you know i wasn't eating badly at all i was just having a normal life wow and this time, so basically what happened was there was an aneurysm or a, a blood clot in my head and it just dissipated in two hours luckily wow and so the 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 when, when, and i remember the day that i was in the hospital I asked Patrick, uh, I, want, I want you to sneak me in a hamburger or a cheeseburger because I'm starving. I need a cheeseburger. And he, I remember him telling me, 
what are you talking about? Why you're not, you're not well. And I said, I don't give a fucking shit right now. Like, I don't like, because of what happened, I'm just going to live it up because anything could happen. Right. That was like the moment for me. And, and it wasn't a revelation. It wasn't sort of like I woke up. It wasn't like an epiphany until like a, a year later, I just decided that I was just going to live it up and just do whatever the hell I wanted to do. And that was sort of the, that was really the beginning of me finding the confidence to be the person that I wanted to be. Wow. So listen, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm framing up the timeline and I'm also looking at your uh, IMDB profile, like trying to, like trying to figure out, okay, so this is happening in 2015, 2016, but you're also producing TV shows. You're working on this TV movie, the Hindenburg explodes, right? Cool dad. Like, like what was, so you're still working doing that. Like this is a, this is a tumultuous time. You're in Paris. You were like kind of in this, it sounds like you were a bit adrift trying to figure out your way. You're also working though, right? You still have like a professional life as a director and assistant director working with movie stars. How is that working? Like it was tough because like, like I said, uh, you know, you you, you just have, you have, I had to put on a face. And, but look, it wasn't, I was, it wasn't like I was always in this space. There would be moments that I, that I'd be feeling elated and ecstatic about things. And then, but sometimes things would trigger. So they typically would trigger when there were feelings of, 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 of belonging or like being lonely or not having a family or there were there were a lot of moments in which as an assistant director so as an assistant director i'm basically the executive officer of the if the if the battalion commander or the brigade commander is the director i'm the executive officer of that brigade or battalion which can be an awfully lonely place right you have no peers you have no peers you have nobody to really share that sort of moment with you're like you just got to be the guy or the gal, right? Well, let me give you, let me illustrate the, a, a moment that is very specific to that thing that you're talking about. So in a very sort of like, just one of the things that I have that is my task on set, and this is just one of those like weird things is I've got to keep the set quiet and people like to talk. So I have to say, you know, quiet on the set, Shh, that's me, right? But I don't want to be the guy who's having these conversations with a lot of people and then turning around and saying, shut up, quiet on the set. So I would not, I wouldn't engage with people. So as you said, I'd be just by by myself being quiet or talking to the director or talking to people about the, the film, but I wouldn't be connecting with them. And you wouldn't have, here's, here's another, I think, key difference too, like, in the army, there's a bunch of other S3s that you can go shoot the shit with and go have coffee. You know, you've got a whole bunch of peers that you can connect with, maybe not in the moment of the day to day. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have that when you're on a set, right? So you no. have to be like in this isolated moment. And I'll also say too, I mean, you wrote this amazing piece, um, kind of reflecting oh, on your own life and the and this tragic, this tragic murder of of somebody named also somebody named uh his name was vince as well i think yeah right? vincent shin and um and there's like as i think about that piece there's so much that is back and forth about 
your identity, right? Like, and, and your identity as, as an all American, your identity as an army officer, as a West Point graduate, like, but then also feeling like there's parts of, there's parts of your identity, you know, being, um, being, being a person of color that you feel like makes it not fit in all together all the time as well. So I think that like, as, as not to get like too much into, I'm sure you're, you probably reflect on this much more than, than this simple analysis, but it seems like this is like a, a continuing uh, uh, dynamic in your life. Yeah, I mean, and the, here's, the, here's the thing. So for those of you guys who haven't read the article, this is an article I wrote last year about reflecting on the death of Vincent Chin, who died from a sort of a, a, a racial um, confrontation in 1983. And I remember when I heard about Vincent Chin last year thinking, wow, that was in 1983 and nothing's really changed. And Flo George Floyd hadn't happened yet. This was, you know, but George Floyd was gonna, would be about two weeks after I wrote this piece. But I remember thinking my whole life trying to be an all American. And, and not, because, not because I didn't wanna be Filipino. It was just because that's just how I grew up. I was born in Flushing, New York. I, we grew up, we, uh, we, um, we were in Hawaii for a little bit. And then I, we moved to Alhambra, uh, which is um, like 10 miles uh, northeast from downtown LA. Um, I was a baseball player since I was 10. And then I got into gymnastics and the 1984 Olympics happened. I remember uh, how much I loved that moment that we beat the Chinese. And we were, we were the underdogs. And I remember, I still remember to this day when the flag was raised and all six of those guys were crying and they were representing their country. And I, I remember thinking, wow, that's awesome. That is such an awesome feeling of representing your country that way. And um, so I had always wanted to be an American, right? In that way. And not because I was trying to prove myself or that I was wanting, I didn't want to be Filipino. Like I said, it was just, that's just what I, how I grew up and watching movies, right? What, when you watch movies like Top Gun, when you watch, uh, you know, um, w w being a baseball player, you know, when you see the, all the, the bunting at, during the World Series, right? All, all, all around the stadium, you just want to be a part of that, right? And, um, but I always knew, I always felt something off. And I didn't know what, whether it was in high school, going to college at West Point, being in the army, even being in Hollywood, I'd never felt completely accepted. And I never knew what it, why it was. So like, for example, in Hollywood, I thought it was because 
maybe I wasn't being fully accepted because people knew that I went to West Point and so like associated me with being militaristic and regimented and being in the military, right? And then at West Point, I thought, and look, I'm, I'm only now um, being able to sort of reflect and intellectualize this. But at the time, I didn't know why it was. I thought it was me. I thought I was doing, and yeah, look, at the, look, I, my personality was, you know, I was a, a fiery kid. I was impatient. I liked to crack jokes. I liked to poke the bear a lot. So I, and I didn't have a good, you know, I didn't have a really strong upbringing. I mean, my parents weren't really good role models for me. They shouldn't have ever been parents, to be honest. They just shouldn't have been parents. They just did not have the capability to raise children to then help them become human, like mature human beings and then send them out into the world. I would basically, I, I felt like I basically started from scratch. And so it, were, it, was, it was things like movies and music or coaches that were feeding me what I, how I should be, what I should know. And that really bled into going to West Point because so, you know, for lack of a, uh, a better word, I was indoctrinated in, the, in duty, honor, country. I was in, you know, I really, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure at the time, you know, my own company mates probably maybe didn't think so. And, but I really, really believe in West Point, I really wanted to be, to take, I, I, I took it very seriously. As much as it didn't seem that I took it seriously, I really, in my own way, bled red, white, and blue. And I was very proud to serve my country and to be part of that, and to be part of that, to the long great line. And, you know, I really wanted to be somebody who could, who would represent the long gray line, you know, and um, so let's 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 maybe reflect a little bit too. Go, going back to the arc of the podcast, yeah, going back to pre West Point, right? Yeah. So and then, and then to West Point, you grew up, you're a Dodgers fan, you're a Cowboys Cowboys fan. You 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 reflect in that piece. You said you wanted to be all American. You felt yeah. like you were all American. Yeah. So um, and then what made you what made you want to go to West Point? Like how did you how did you discover West Point? All right. Um... I didn't know anything about West Point until my senior year. I, um, I, went on a, I went on a gymnastics competition in Pennsylvania. The, it was a very, very famous, very uh, special um, invitation called the National Boys Invitation. And everybody, every gymnast who was worth their weight in salt would gravitate toward this competition. And I had just gone into gymnastics two years. So I was a late, and everything that I did, I was a late bloomer. So I started. So you started gymnastics in high school and then you were like on the course squad gymnastics team at West Point. Yeah, because I was, dude, I was so obsessed about the sport. I was. What did you do? What was your, what was your like event? What was your. I did floor exercise. 
I tried to do pommel horse, which I couldn't, I was terrible at it. Um, rings and parallel bars. Wow. A floor exercise and rings were my best event. So who were some who were some of our other classmates that were your teammates on that team? Like Derek Wright, I think, was a gymnast, right? He Derek. was he Derek Wright was uh, he was our star gymnast. And then he said, I'm out of here because I gotta do my ranger stuff, right? Because he was like it was he was so hardcore. He just left. Like after after freshman year, he just said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm like, oh man, our star gymnast left. We had Matt Passvogel, Bob Walthouse, Greg Brady. You remember Greg Brady? Greg Brady, General Greg Brady, I think, right? General Greg Brady, ladies and gentlemen. Right. right. Another story. Okay. For another time. Um, How about Jason Schrader? Was he on the team? I don't know. No. Uh, Matt Coos was on the team. Ed Kim were on, was on, were on the team, and then they left. I think okay. our our cow year. But Brett you know, Mia was on our on oh, he was yeah. I one. Yeah. Brett and I went to the same high school. Get out, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And we weren't that close. We, interestingly enough, like we went to the same high school. I didn't know him that well in high school either, but we went to the same high school. And yeah, so anyway. Brett was uh, my design partner. I saw Richie Ryan's on the line here. Richie Ryan was his roommate first a year. Those two guys were uh, <laughs> they were rooming together when when Richie was uh, he was finishing up his area his area tours. It was a rough semester. <laughs> I had a rough I had a rough second semester. What did you? How many hours did did you walk to West Point? I don't know, hundred lot, hundred ten, something like that. Yeah, really. And they were so bogus. They were well. I, 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 um, I was late for formation because I had taken a train from, I had taken a train from New York city, visiting my girlfriend, Annie, uh, who was living, who lived in New York city. And I, you know, I had the last train, but I had it go to Garrison because it was cheaper, right? Wasn't it cheaper to go to Garrison or I forget what it was. So you could go, you could stop at Garrison or you could stop at Croton Harmon, right? right. And you had to gamble between, I think Garrison was the cheaper or something like that, but I took Garrison and there was no, there were no taxis. No cab. But you probably saved like three bucks. Probably. I saved three bucks <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I could see across the Hudson the formation, formation was happening. Oh, I was like, I am dead that meat. So that's got to suck so bad. So yeah. I, 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 so I was late for, I got 40 hours for that or whatever I got for that. Um, I, in, when I was a firstie, I was the activities officer and I had, um, we were in, uh, we had a, we, we had a day room that was shared with B1 and C1. Mm -hmm. I remember them watching a movie and the movie had finished and nobody wanted to rewind the tape. That's so, cause it was one of those things where you had to, you know, be kind, rewind. Cause you, you got the tape and you had to, you know, I, I, I person's going to come in and has to rewind the whole tape before they watch the show. Whatever. Right? But the whole point is that like, you had to go to the, you had to go to the video store in Highland Falls and, and you, you had to pay a fee if it wasn't rewound. And but for me, it was just a principle. Like, dude, guys, can just somebody just rewind the tape for me? And so I, there was a cow that came out of the, from C, I think it was C1. He came out and he was, he, he looked, I said, it, I said, 
I want you to go in there and rewind the tape. I'm a first year, right? And he says, I'm not doing that. I said, come on, man. And then he said, so he, he, he said something provoking where he said, you look like you want to fight me. And I said, oh, God, I don't want to go into this right now. But being somebody who is shorter, 5'5", five, five, I used, I mean, and, you know, we we're talking about those things where I was always feeling a bit off, right? And I think it was exacerbated by me being a short guy. So there is this feeling that I was always constantly having to fight my way through things because do you know that when you're um, the, 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 um, they, they say for in Harvard Business School, the, the highest, the, the, the best indicator of success. Do you know what the best indicator of success is? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm thinking you're going to say it's height. because it, It's the, height. Yeah. It's height. So anyway, I would get into these fist fights with people. And here's a situation where I was like, I don't want to get in a fist fight with you. It's my first year. I've gotten in too much trouble. And this is all happening in the moment. And he right. comes up to my face, right? Or he's like, he's like, not to my face, obviously, six foot three. And he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> and I turn it's around. To go to the camera like that. It's like, just like it. <laughs> and it, I turn around and I thought, I took a breath and he stepped in and he goes, come on, man. And that last, come on, I was like, okay. And then I turned around and I popped him. Oh, you're going to walk from that. It felt so good. And here, but it would have been fine, except for the fact that he had to go to the hospital because his eye bled. Mm -hmm. So I got, I got a first class board for that. And, um, so yeah, my the rest of my first year I was walking the area because of that. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. Wow. Um, so you know, A one, B one, and C one, they were in the same barracks. Because for some reason, I have. We two were in the same barracks. We were, we were up by the, um, by the cadet store. Okay, but then why do I think that there's another area where A one was, which is over by? across from Bartlett Hall. Was there another section there? Was maybe that where the firsties were or something or? No, that was, that was the, I feel, I feel like that was, that was the, that was I one and. Okay. The, okay. the other half maybe, or yeah. the other lower half, the lower third of. Um, okay. okay. First regiment. Yeah. So who were some of the other characters in A1 that were our classmates? Characters? Yeah, I mean, like the uh, memorable, memorable. I mean, like you got Joe Tonona, I think, Brian Melton, Ron Mao. I mean, we had, I mean, uh, Eric Liddell. I'm thinking of people, I just know because I was in first reg also. And yeah. I just know the guys. And we had, like, we had two generals in A1. Who's that? Rick Angle. Oh, yeah. Dave Hodney. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Rick Angle. I just saw Rick Angle. Rick came up to uh, Totes' thing. Okay. Uh, he was he was up there. He brought a, a really nice bottle of bourbon that everybody shared and, and commemorated totes. But um I didn't realize, so and also yeah, so Dave Hodney was in A1 too. So two two generals from A1. Two generals. Two generals from A1, two generals from E1. 
Oh, really? is that I, wrong? Okay. New one also. I think that's the, uh, yeah, um, it's the A. Sims and Joe Ryan are also, uh, but I think everybody else is just one per one. I don't think there's any other companies that doubled up like that. You want you, I think you, you're asking me a question. Did you ask me why I wanted to go to West Point? Was yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. Of like, like going back to pre West Point, you you learned about it your senior year. Oh, right, right. So I went, I, I was inspired to All American, like anything All American that was you, like you, you wanted that the, the gymnastics team, right, 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 Dodgers, right, Cowboys, right. right? That was what you that's what you wanted for yourself. Well, so. To continue with that story, I went to that competition in um, in Pennsylvania, and they, I got recruited. So oh, okay. that's when the gymnastics, uh, the coach uh, Larry Butler, Larry Butler, um, uh, had recruited me, or he asked me to come up to West Point, and you know. I wanted to do, my dream was to do college gymnastics. And I knew being someone who had just started, you know, I, I started when I was a sophomore, I was gonna make it on a lot of the, the big teams. And so I, I took this trip to West Point um, and I fell in love with the place. I- You drank the Kool-Aid. You drank the Kool-Aid, which is I, I I was I was drinking the Kool-Aid like gallons of it. I was a wash. You're doing a keg stand. I, it was a wash. Kool-Aid, yeah. It was okay. a I mean, I love the buildings. I love the I and again, you know, someone who might being someone who wasn't um didn't have a really strong family yearning for a, a, a team and I you know when I was a gymnast when I was a gymnast in in high school it wasn't our high school it was a private club it was a at a YMCA and there was only another guy Curtis Gordonier who was my who was a, another senior and everybody else they were three years younger than I was what you said Bretton and Amia he wasn't on my team he was on another he was on a competitive on a different team but he's from your high school and a gymnast yeah that's a pretty small, that's a pretty small world that, that, that you, one of your teammates is actually one of your place, your high school. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy small Coincidence. world. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I went, to, when, when I got this, this offer to go to West Point to, I mean, to, to, to visit the college. I was enamored. I loved that everybody was in the same uniform. And I remember it was at a time when everybody was, they were wearing the, um, the, uh, our, our baseball jackets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like spring or fall or something, right? The, whatever that's called. What is that called? The jacket? No, they have, there's got to be a name for that, right? Because they, they have like, they're not like uniform. No, I forgot. I forgot. Uniform is as for class right. wearing gray jacket what, a gray, it was just a call no it was called a gray jacket and i thought why was it just called a gray jacket this thing was amazing i love the idea that it had a, this big a right big like a, a, yeah oh well, for you guys that were of course kind of athletes not yeah, yeah 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 so i and i love that this is a baseball jacket i remember i remember putting on the full dress uniform when on this trip 
I still have those photos of me being in this uniform. Yeah. And I signed up at two in the morning. I said, I'm in. Oh, no, there was, before that, I went to go visit the, I went to go talk to one of the colonels in, in academics. He was, a, he was, I think, running, he was the head of, uh, of uh, economics. And I said, hey, is there, is there a business school? Do you have, do you, do you, can I major in business? And he said, no, but here is a list of, of West Point graduates who are CEOs of major companies. And again, being someone who didn't have a sense of uh, conscientious sense of being thorough because I didn't have my parents walking me through these things, I had to figure this out on my own. Which and is so amazing. Which is amazing. I mean, like here you are, this kid from Los Angeles. You don't don't know about West Point. You happen to go to this tour. You happen to go to this gymnastics thing. You got fell in love with the place. I mean, so academically. Like, did like, I guess, were you, were, I mean, you can't get just waved in. You had to have highest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had good, I had good, I had good grades. Yeah. I, I had good grades. So, um, but I was convinced. He just said, I, you know, we don't have a business school, but we have, we have economics. And that's the, that's the closest thing that we're going to, that we have. And I mm -hmm. said, okay, I'm, I'm in. Is that what we, you majored in? Majored that's in what economics? I majored. I majored in economics. And, and we, you know, they had a, first class gymnastics facility that what was that that's what i was most impressed by mm -hmm. first class so did you have to take gymnastics as a as a plebe you, you probably validated that that right i validated out of that i don't know maybe i did validate had to have had to have you know what i did validate was boxing you validated boxing? I validated boxing. How'd you validate boxing? I don't know. I was, um, I told you I was a scrapper. So I was, I just, no, no. I, my, my, my dad taught me how to box. And I, so I, 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 I it was very easy for me. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to get validated. Wait, I mean, so you must have validated boxing and gymnastics then. Yeah. No way they're going to have you do gymnastics. You know, I saw, I have I have two recurring nightmares that come back to me periodically. One is that I'm back at Ranger School, but as a 50-year-old man, and I need to like sort of like get through that shit. The other one is that I'm in plebe gymnastics. That's the other one that I have. As a as a 50-year-old man, as any as any as a, as oh, a 50-year-old gotcha. kid too. Because let me tell you, I passed gymnastics on the last day. Like yeah. I'd gotten a bunch of high zeros. Like they kept like yeah, I couldn't yeah. whatever the the, the that damn high bars what was yeah. that you know you had to like throw your leg over there and yeah. swing over like a canary so lame. So and lame. I would either I would either not make it up or I would go all the way over like I could never like balance myself up top there you know so so for those of you guys who are on this podcast who aren't from West Point we were required to take gymnastics as a PE class right and, and it doesn't matter boxing if it doesn't matter if boxing. you're like a stud like Vince or like a big Big guy like me, you got to all take that class. You got to take both. Yeah. So the idea that I bought, what it meant that I validated boxing was that I was able to skip the class and get an, an A for it and not have to do the class. So the rest of the semester, whatever that quarter or whatever it was, I didn't have to take the class. Yeah. So you, that's, that makes, that made, that made for, a better plebe year, I would think, you know, no black guys and no, uh, 
you know, no pull groin muscles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. How'd you do in the IOCT? You must have crushed that, right? Was- I hated it. I, I wasn't a runner and I never practiced running. I just hated running. So I never, I did well just because I, I had to, but I, I remember I, I threw up every time I, I did the, this obstacle course. It was just, right. it was dreadful. Right. It was dreadful. So one of the things you wanted to talk about which was a pivotal formative moment for you at West Point was that you got brought up on honor. Um, you wanted to talk about that. And so yeah. what was the story there? What, what, like what, what, what precipitated that and how did that go down? So, you know, you can't lie, cheat or steal. And the procedure was essentially that someone had to confront you and there was really never really any understanding or 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 proper uh, proper teaching about how to do that. And it, it was it was basically basically a, a, this particular situation was I was walking it was I was walking the I was supposed to be walking the area or doing sitting tours, sitting in my room for punishment, and I think it was that. The upperclassmen, when I mean upperclassmen, I think I was I was a year I was a sophomore I was a yearling. So the senior thought I wasn't at the formation, the accountability formation to walk the tours. I think that's what it was. And he and I said, oh, it was right. I I I said no. I said I was I was there. And he goes, no, you weren't. I said I was there. There's no way I wasn't going to be there because I had to, I got dressed up to do the, to, to, to go there, to, to do the formation. And then he just, next thing you know, he told the honor representative and then I was being formally charged. And then that was a process because what you do is you have to represent, you have to have someone represent you as a kind of a lawyer saying it was another cadet and then you would do all these procedures about about the situation so so like because it, it all takes place in integer hall like there's an old old like kind of old 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 school building right and so like you're there and, but there's a process by which they sort of like they kind of vet this thing right and then you have to you do you choose who the who the cadet is that's gonna help you be like? Yeah, so it was a cow. It, 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 I forgot his name already, but he was a cow in our company. Um, and so there's, you know, there are different representatives in who are basically the jury. So there's a couple plebes, a couple um, sophomores, yearlings, couple cows, and then a couple firsties. And you had to just present this, and you had to bring in. We get to bring in um, uh, like witnesses, witnesses and, stuff? Yeah. and that sort of thing. And look, I'm 19 years old. I'm not a lawyer. Right. And I have to represent myself. I just had an advisor that was helping me, but I was basically being my own lawyer. That had to be like such a tough situation, right? And you mentioned also like you didn't have a huge support system back home as well like, like, like they, they my my parents thought i was they their first 
reaction was, what did you do? Okay. Right. And my mom is not the kind of, my mom goes into panic mode very easily. So she is not somebody who can nurture a situation or can help a situation. She goes into panic mode. So I knew that that wasn't where I could go. And it was difficult. It was a difficult time for me because you could, I could feel the tension with my classmates. They, they, they wouldn't say it out loud, but I think my company mates were, you know, kind of taking a step back. My, my gymnastics teammates took a step back a little bit. Nobody, I felt very, very, very lonely at the time. Right. And I had to just focus and try to defend myself in this case. And, and again, and the, the entire time I'm thinking, why the fuck am I here? Right. About something that is so inconsequential. And here I am spending an entire, an entire week having to come up with a case, come up with, and it was, the, the thing was, it was so inconsequential. I was basically making up things to prove that I was there, that I was there. Right. Just to like, for example, Oh, I had a witness that said I went to, I saw me or didn't see me at breakfast because I was at the formation. Mm-hmm. So did you, you know, is, and I, and, and, and I was inspired. I had what I did to, 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 to learn how to be a lawyer was I snuck in the day room and it popped in a movie. There was a movie that we had. It was a, it was a movie with the, the guy that played, remember the guy that there was a, I forget the actor's name, but he, he was in Breakfast Club. He played the he played the like the 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 unruly guy. Which which one? The unruly guy gave the, his earring to Judd Nelson. Judd like, Nelson. Judd. I said Judd. Yeah, yeah. So Judd Nelson was in this movie about being a lawyer, and so I would at night go to the day room and watch this movie, and uh-huh. he would say things like, um. Would, is it true, so I would use these phraseologies, like, is it true that on this day, or I would say something like, um, would it be possible? Right. Just be, and I would have to do it on the next day and just do the same thing. And, and it made me sound official. So how, long, how long does this thing go on for? Is it like- It was like a week, it was a whole week. And then there was this, and then, you know, you present your case and then, there's a representative and it's like a jury he comes up and he says something like you're not found you're found or not found right so that was a pretty uh pretty pivotal moment for you i think right and it is also maybe reinforcing of or uh, it was another situation where you felt alone like it like it during during that time period tough tough situations there yeah. And I, you know, like, look, I'm not, I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to blame others. So I was always, I had always felt that it was something about me. Mm-hmm. It was something about me, something that, that I wasn't doing properly that I, where I couldn't connect with my classes. And look, I was a course God athlete. Right. So I was never, I wasn't around. I was, I was at practice. Right. And, you know, while, and I didn't know this until recently, but there was, 
people after drill, there was a lot of time. People t- were taking naps, right? I guess I, I wasn't taking like I had to come back from think. Have you ever done? Have you ever done like high intensity, um, like fitness training, like where you? So imagine doing that for three hours every day, and then having to come back and do homework. And you could only do homework till 11, right? Because there was taps and then you had to go to sleep. There is no doubt that being a core squad athlete is like three times harder to get through West Point than, than it is. And I say this as a non-core squad athlete, right? Like in hindsight, I think. And you know what's interesting too, you find, I mean, I, course what athletes become much better uh, at time management, budgeting their time. And I think you would, one could argue, tremendous leaders. Now, I think of like the officers that I, like our classmates that were, that were course what athletes, when they got out in the army, they were fantastic officers, like really, really good officers. So I think that- I was a terrible officer. You think you're a terrible officer? Yeah, I, I wasn't. I, I, I didn't have the emotional well, intelligence. I mean, that's a, this, this so, could be five hey, hours. Of- let's pivot, no, no, but let's pivot. Let's pivot here because let's pivot from West Point to the Army, okay? Although, I, before we do that, I want to also just one last thing about West Point was you mentioned that you were able to rent a video camera when you were there. You have like video, you've got. I I have a two hour long video of documenting our first year. I, I, I rented a video camera. And it's interesting because when I, when I look back on it, that was sort of like the, the foreshadowing of me wanting to be in the film business. Because so I planted a kernel in your, in your mind of like, I could be a director. Basically. No, no. It was just that I love this. When, when I, so when we were firsties, I discovered the audio visual room that you could rent all these things. And I found out you could rent a video camera. And I was like, oh my God, I love this thing. So I, I borrowed it and I just loved documenting everything that I saw, like kind of a reality show. So I have stuff, I have stuff like, in our barracks, we'd, we'd have this elevator and this old school elevator where you put the cage down. Yeah. And we'd have cage matches with the guys like after taps. And I have a cage match that I think I recorded. Um, and I, we, I had this video camera at, um, at gymnastics. I took it out. I, I remember having plebes who would greet me and I would haze them as I was, as I was, <laughs> as I was shooting them on the video camera. It's not digitized. So once I digitize it, I definitely want to put it out there. That's going to be quality, quality film to see. Uh, the people are in, in the in the text are they're rolling back and forth. Uh, Matt Lewis is saying, "I'd love to see that film." Oh yeah, he's in, he's definitely in there. Yeah, for sure, he's definitely in there. He's- um, you know, I, I, sometimes I wonder if I was in another regiment, would I have been a different person because it was a one be straight or be gone you guys are so hardcore you're saying like it was like different regiment different company we were but like a one we wanted to be 
from an, our own, we wanted to be our own regiment. In, well, maybe this wasn't the case, but in my mind, when even like B1 and C1, they were the Legion, and they were part of the Legion, and, and, and the rest of the regiment was first reg, first reg and proud, right, was the, what basically, I was like, fuck that, you're not A1. <laughs> I really took it to heart because again, being someone who didn't have a family, who I didn't know it at the time, but I wanted to belong. I want like I was a huge Dodger fan. I was a huge Cowboys fan. And so I bled a one. I bet you, I bet you my my company mates would be surprised that I that 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 I felt that way. But I really was. I, I really loved being an A1. I created the our company coin. I, by the way, and I'm not trying to take credit for myself, but there, Norman Schwarzkopf was an A1 grad. So I wrote a letter. Remember when he came to yeah, yeah. this point and the whole John Keenan thing? Yeah. Right? I have another, I, by the way, I, I want to, John Keenan, by the way, was such an inspiration to me to be a storyteller. I, I want to get into that in a moment. But um, I wrote this letter. I, as the activities officer, I said, we were going to have Norman Shortsoff come to our company. But because I was in the company commander and because I wasn't, I was someone who, I was basically the court jester of our company. I couldn't write this. So I, but I wrote this letter and then I had John Dugan, who was our company commander. I had him sign it and I had him do it. And it was sort of like, I remember this, I, I, I say that because there was, there were, there were so many moments like that in, as a common theme in my life of me having these ideas and then, but giving it to someone else to then take the baton. And that fed into my depression, I think, because I always felt like from a sense of meritocracy, when I was when I would do these things, why wasn't I getting my just desserts? I wasn't necessarily looking for credit, but I just felt like, why couldn't I, why wasn't I getting the things that I wanted to get? Another example is, oh, I, we fired our coach. We got our coach fired at West Point because I felt that we, we had such a strong gymnastics team. We had the best, we could have made NC2As because we had so many good gymnasts. It was the, basically the first time in West Point history that we had a, we had a, uh, a, a compilation of seven gymnasts that were really good. And I felt compelled in this notion of doing the harder right over easier wrong. That was what I, was, I held on to. That he shouldn't be our coach. We need, I mean, that's why Derek Wright left. And so I wrote this letter, but I couldn't be the one to lead the charge because I just didn't have any credibility. So I had to give it to Brett and I, you know, but I had this form letter and I remember 
it was so there you know i remember one of our one of our teammates and i'm not going to mention his name but i remember he had, he'd been complaining about him about our coach for years whining and complaining about him and here it was we're going to take action and he wouldn't sign the letter and i remember being in um at the locker room and i just I grabbed his throat and I said, you're fucking signing this letter because you've been bitching and complaining for three years. And now we're going to do it. What he finally did it. The coach got fired and that coach is still here. He's still the coach at West Point. He got fired. This, Wait. The, the coach got fired. Sorry. The, the coach, coach got for the new coach. He's still the coach. Out, still the coach at West Point. And I mean, and and to me, that was sort of like the 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 uh what's the word I want to use? The um the indication that, that that the idea of the harder right or the easier wrong was the right thing to do. Because here's a guy who's still there. That's awesome. That's right. Awesome. And we had the best senior. We broke, we broke the, we broke, we broke the team record. We broke a team record that had been standing for 50 years. We had a great senior first, first a year in gymnastics. It was amazing. So before we leave West Point, well, there's two things, by the way. First of all, <laughs> Schwarzkopf came up um, at Totes' uh, uh, service. We were talking, uh, Rick Angle, whatever. Yeah, uh, we were we were just reflect. We were, we were remembering that day that Schwarzkopf came, and I, I again another thing where I happened to be like in these in these, like in the periphery. I was there watching him talk to you guys, watching yeah. Schwarzkopf talk to A one. Yeah. Because my room, my window, first year was like looking down in that, yeah. that the period, and uh, Rick Angle said that he made some remark. He looked out and said. You guys are all so much shorter than we were in, back in the day, or something like that, right? Because yeah. A used to be right in the tall companies. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah. they used to have like the they used to go by high order, right? Yeah. So, but before we leave West Point, we have to talk about first a year. Yeah. Neil Fuckner, <laughs> you borrowed you borrowed uh, uh, Brad McWee's uh, yeah. brand new white Thunderbird car. Yeah. So tell me that story. Well, um, I forget what I was borrowing his car for, but I had parked it. It was a it was a manual transmission, and I parked it at the edge of Lake. Uh, what was the lake? Popolopen. Lake Popolopen was our first day. So it was the summer of nineteen ninety one ninety right ninety yeah. I remember being in a hurry. I was gonna because I that car wasn't gonna be there for. I had to park that car and I was going to put it, go back to the lot, obviously, with it. Right. You're dropping was, something off or something. Whatever. I was rushing in and then I got caught up with something. It was, you know, um, maybe it was uh, Ed Bayou. There was somebody was telling us, John Cook telling a story or something. <laughs> and I got caught up in that. Two great guys who are great, great storytellers, both of them. Bayou amazing, and that. Amazing, amazing storytellers. And I go out to the um to the uh i go outside yeah yeah there's no car i'm like did i 
parked it somewhere else. So for five minutes, I'm thinking I might have parked it somewhere else, right? I'm like, how could I? There's no way. And then it was somebody who was like hanging out at the lake had seen the car bubbling into the big, just slowly submerging. So, here, so here's where I enter the scene, right? Because yeah. I'm like, I'm <laughs> at Buckner at this time. And what I remember is the sun setting over the mountains, like this kind of shimmer of the sun, of the sunset yeah. on the water. And it's yeah. like perfectly still water. Yeah. Like, there's no way there's a car in there. Like, like there's no way there's a car. There's, how would a car go in there, right? Yeah. But the car rolled into it. Just rolled. I mean, I. I mean, the thing about it was, I was away from it long enough for the thing to be submerged completely. Completely. What was I doing? So, so what was I doing inside the inside the barracks? So, how, that, wait, what did they do? Did they have to swim out there and put a, a chain on it? And, and, and I don't remember. I was so beside myself. Beside myself, I was like, I can't believe that happened to me. I. I was, I felt so bad. And, and Brad was- Brad, we were saying this before. What, what I remember was Brad was so cool about it. He was the coolest. He was just like, you know, shit happens. And I remember it's feeling- my like, car and so what? You just rolled it in and destroyed, you destroyed my car. <laughs> he was so cool about it and i was I, I i wish i would have remembered that moment i mean as a sort of like a moment of leadership like if i wish i would have been like taking a snapshot of that and put it yeah. in my pocket and said when i go through a stressful situation that's how i want to be exactly because he was like nobody's hurt it's just a car yeah I think his dad might have been an insurance agent or something. He, he's like, he's going to be covered by insurance. Yeah. Not a big deal. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, dude. Yeah. And, and then recently, I think I mentioned to you also, like, I know Brad, like, recently he changed jobs. He'd been working at, um, he was working at Harley Davidson for a number of years. And he's just yeah. kind of like, you know, they've had this abrupt downsizing and he had to, like, think about transitioning. Yeah, I thought what I actually reflect, I thought about Brad McAlee first year being like this kind of like this like crisis, like calm, cool, collected dude. I was like, I am yeah. quite certain you will yeah. be fine and you're probably yeah. going to be working through this. So, yeah, but what a crazy time that was. It was, I mean, it was, a, it was my, it was my risky business moment. That's for sure. <laughs> so you mentioned, I think also having gone through this formative experience of the honor violation and West Point, duty honor country, A1. When you got into the army, like you felt almost discombobulated by like the right and the wrong, like gray areas made you feel extremely uncomfortable, right? So like you, you mentioned that like trying to navigate the relationship with a platoon sergeant or your company commander trying to say that vehicles were not deadlined when they really were. So tell me those experiences. How did you, how did you, what, what were the challenges that you were trying to navigate through as a young officer? It wasn't, it was, a, it was, you know, I wasn't married. Um, so there was that, it was, you know, that you, you, 
you it was just a good it would be it was a good thing that you were married so that your wife could hang out with the battalion commander's wife and they would go out and do stuff together i didn't have that um and they would always do couple things together so i was i there was uh, there were three guys that were essentially single guys and one of them um wasn't um, a west point graduate but i'd hang out with him and sometimes I'd hang out with my soldiers because I didn't know what to hang out with sometimes. Um, so I felt detached in that way. You know, I, I was 22, but I had a face of a, I had 13 year old face. So it was hard to get that kind of credibility, right? As a leader. And again, as I've told you, as we were talking about, there was just something off that I could not sort of like overcome. And I, don't, and I was trying to be, you know, a distinguished leader, somebody who was calm and collected and, 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 and empathetic, you know, like being a leader in all the ways that we were, that you, in, in leaders that you, we admired at West Point and wanting to be, I wanted to be that guy. And I found that I did not know how to do it. I had to either raise my voice. I, I you know, my platoon sergeant was somebody who was an old grizzled veteran. Like he was a Vietnam vet. And I could feel that he was very, you know, very polite to me, call me sir. and. It, you know, he would be, he was very, he, he was very polite about taking my orders or, 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 or being sub, um, being my platoon sergeant. But when it, I remember one, when we would go on training exercises, he would just start to take over and he would take over the platoon. And we would, I remember we were on maneuvers and he just started getting on the radio and he would just take over. And for me, it was a lab, right? It was like, that was, it wasn't like, it wasn't life or death. It was just, I was figuring stuff out. I wanted to try some things. And I'm, you know, my, my whole life, I'm a tinkerer. So I like to tinker with things. I like to try stuff and just see like, what's going to stick, what's not. And that was the time that I wanted to do that. And so I never, I never saw those maneuvers as, you know, something that I was getting observed for to be promoted or to, 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 as, as a sense of evaluation. I felt like that was my lab that like, let me learn how to work with soldiers because we didn't learn how to do that at school. I mean, I felt like even back then, I felt like if you're the company commander, no, no, no offense to anybody who are company commanders or levels of, 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 um, of importance at West Point. But I always thought that was just playtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, what were you really, really being the company commander of like in our cadet company? The fact that our rooms are clean, who gives a <laughs> fuck, right? So I never garbage took. Can. Your, your garbage can, the liner in your garbage can, had to be. Uh, had to be- <laughs> exactly. Anyways, Eddie Bayus, right? So Eddie Bayus is my company mate, and I, I said I loved him. He should be a stand-up comedian. He's so totally. funny. He's so He's fucking so funny. So again, so and John Keenan, right? So I had John Keenan, and so I had in my in at Buckner. I had John Keenan on one end, Ed Bayouth, and we would, they would just do Forget. story Forget. offs. It would be Forget. story offs. 
Yeah, forget it. It'd be crazy. It'd be crazy. And we were we would laugh and laugh and laugh. And I remember I I have to that inspired me to want to be a good story. And I didn't know it at the time, but I'd always if I wanted to tell stories, I wanted to be able to tell a story as well as John Keenan's. And even that's I think why I wanted I got into the film business because I wanted to be a storyteller like that. I wanted to like he Ed and 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 John just had a way of crafting a story and and engaging the audience and then waiting and then waiting and then waiting and then pull the trigger or yeah. then or flip it on its head and they were so good at it. I was just I, I, would, I would pay so cash jealous. I pay cash money to see those two together. For sure. I would, for I sure. Mean, so anyway, far. so back to back to the me being a platoon leader there yeah there was a time when there was there was a there was a there was a situation in which there were three vehicles that were deadlined and they didn't get reported as deadlined i had a i had a hard time with that yeah just how, how to how to now or, or like you have situations where some <laughs> think about it. my company can we had like these, I had this situation where I had like two deadline vehicles, but there was like one thing that was needed to make one of them not deadlined. So he would just move the part from one right. machine, one to the other. So only one would be deadlines. Like there would be the same one two days in a row. Cause it just totally, which yeah. is fine. Like at the end of the day, who gives a shit? Right. But here's the thing. I went through two honor boards at school for two stupid things that could have been easily clarified. Right. And that now you have this clear had a con you totally. Yeah. And then being you know, the whole be straight or be gone. Like everything was so strack. And then you had you, you know, like the, the, the fact that you every you know, that was my moral compass, right? The idea of you do not lie, cheat, or steal. The idea of doing the harder right or the easier right. I really took that stuff to heart. So when I was in the army, it was very difficult for me to navigate through that and i had to leave i was like i can't i can't do this because i don't know what to do and here's the other thing too i had a i had a couple of company commanders who i were goofy mm. and here's the thing right i I, I had these thoughts and you know part of being when you're in the army and i didn't know and i i'm i don't know how people do it i don't know how people reconcile a lot of these things in their own minds but for me i was thinking well, if I had a company commander telling me to go charge the hill, knowing full well that charging the hill was going to kill my men and me being responsible for them, now what? Am I responsible to my company commander because I should just obey him? Three bags, yes, sir, three bags full? Or should I be beholden to my men? And in return, their families for going up that hill. I couldn't reconcile that. So I, 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 I was, I, you know, when, when, when President Clinton got into office and we had the early out, I was like, I, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. It was tough, and I, I just didn't, I didn't, I just didn't know how to. Your battalion commander yeah. was uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Martin Dempsey, yeah. one with who eventually became yeah. a chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Right? Yeah. So he uh, 
he was your battalion commander and you said that you and Johnny Richardson were in the same battalion and same company or uh yeah uh, same battalion yeah same yeah 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 and same, you, and, and same you were tasked you were tasked with leading the the crude olympics right i wasn't he our battalion commander okay i was just i was just participant so we had this we we had this event i guess they had this 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 traditional event by which all the new lieutenants would go through these events one of them being and so like one event was uh drinking in a, a beer funnel but tequila mm. and another was doing shots another event was sliding down a slip and slide but with barbecue sauce in your underwear right so we did that by the way that night i had to go on a trip to paris so i was taking one of those bus rides that you could take you know the in germany go all over the place yeah right so we i would i was I, as soon as I finished the, the crew, Olympic down. event, yeah. slide down, I put my pants back on, did not take a shower. I was. Wait, what time of night was it? You guys are drinking. Was it you guys? Were you were you drunk at the time too, or what? Yeah. yeah. So I it's, go on this bus. I go. I go on. You gotta hear this story real quick. So I go yeah. on this bus, Jamie, and we're going through Europe. I am filled to the gills with tequila, beer, barbecue sauce, barbecue sauce in my ears. And I remember thinking, I'm about to fucking yak. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to yak on myself. Because I know, like, if I, what happens when I, I would just be able to take my shirt off. Nice, right? Good thinking, right? This, the, you thank you. Point you teach us something. West Point taught you something. Right? Thank you. So Your shirt is, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna hold. That's right. Okay. I don't because I'm not gonna. I don't want to clean the floor of the right. bus. So I threw up all over myself, and I think I was so tired that I just fell asleep. And they stopped oh in, in they, the bus stopped in Belgium, and they wanted me to get off the bus and clean myself because obviously i don't know how long this was i don't know how many countries we went through with with all this like vomit on my on my shirt but oh my sure enough sure enough i i get off the bus take off my shirt throw it in the trash good as new yeah uh, just keep on going another day go to the bathroom like like <laughs> totally the hot air blow totally. on your armpits, right? And you're totally. good to go, right? Totally. Maybe toothbrush. Yeah, good times. Good times. Dude, it's 141. We've been on for so long and we haven't well, gotten into the film we, business part of yeah, it. We're gonna start wrapping this thing up, you know. So uh we we uh we talked a lot. We talked a lot about some some really powerful things. And um I wanna personally thank you, Vince, for being the leader that you are talking about these difficult things. I, I'm sure that this is gonna be helpful to somebody else too, to really think about how it is that you take care of yourself, you know, seeking, seeking therapy, getting yourself right, you know, having a, 
having a support system. Um, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for, for your honesty and, 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 uh, and leadership in that way. Um, do you have some parting thoughts for us? Anything that you would want to leave us with as, as a class uh, thoughts before, before we wrap up here about your journey or about, about life in general? I just, you know, looking back at school, I didn't really get to know anybody. Like the conversation that you and I are having right now, I wish I could have had a hundred of those conversations at school. So even now, like Jeff DeLillo, do you know Jeff? Yeah, Jeff DeLillo, yeah, I know. Jeff DeLillo and I have been talking you know, probably once a month, once every two months and finally really getting to know each other. He was my roommate at the time and he was a firecracker and I wanted to get to know him back then, but it was just a weird time, right? Because it was, West Point is so competitive and so demanding that you could not sit down and be present and connect with each other. We were so judgmental about things, about life, about people, I feel like we're not connecting with each other. And I remember when Totes, right before Totes died, I had called him. This was like a month, two months before he died. And I remember reaching out to him and I said, you know, I want to fly out there. I want to see you. I want to hang out with you. I want to expand my neighborhood. That on a whim, I want to just come and see you. And at the time, I had, I, I had to, I had a best friend from West Point that I, who I really, really loved, and we did a lot of great things together, and really connected. But he was after you know going through my um, stroke after um, this you know, the suicide attempt. I didn't have any, a lot, a lot of room for the negativity. And he was just a negative guy about everything. And I wanted to, a new lease on my own life to start again, knowing what I know now. And I remember telling Totes, I broke up, I broke my relationship, my friendship with this guy because I wanted to hang out with I wanted to spend more time with people like you because Totes was just the ultimate giver. He the was just, he was the, he was such a mensch, right? And even he was like, and as a dad, he was such a, a, a great dad to his kids. And I remember he was so proud of them and he was you know, like, he really wanted to make them into mature human beings that would not just, not just to survive and prosper, but to be good human beings for the world. And COVID happened and I didn't get to see him. And then he died and I thought, that sucks. I think about him often and I, I just feel like we should 
why don't we, why don't we, why, what happened? Why, as, as much as we laud West Point and that sort of thing, it was such, an, it was, it was such a toxic place for people to connect. Like Debbie, do you remember Debbie Summers? Yeah, you mentioned it. I was going to go to this. So you mentioned Debbie Summers was somebody that picked up on some of your own challenges. So Debbie was someone I didn't really know at school. I wanted to know. I remember reading one of her. She wrote a was it a poem or she wrote a beautiful piece in in the Howitzer or in the, what was that the Pointer? The Pointer View, yeah. And she and and she she wrote a beautiful piece and I remember wanting to connect with her back then, but because of the way West Point is. And I don't think she really trusted me or, tr you know, she didn't really trust someone who wanted to really get to know her that way, right? She picked up on the fact that I wasn't feeling well. She reached out to me and we, we would have these conversations and then she would let me speak and, and I would, I was honest with her and I would talk to her and tell her how I was feeling. And she was so kind to me. And even at the time I thought, you're not even my company mate. My whole company mates don't even know what's going on. Not blaming them at all. I just want to put on the record that it's not their fault. I don't blame them. It's, it's, and I wasn't really putting it out there, but something with something that Debbie had, like something, a superpower that she had was being able to see that something was amiss with me and she reached out to me. You said something, I'm selling my camera. I'm selling this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, because I was going to Paris. And right. the thing was with Paris was I didn't know what was going to happen. There, there was a moment in my head that one of the things that I was, that was a potential possibility that I was going to go there to disappear. So I had, I was, I was sort of selling all my books and I wasn't doing a grand goodbye to everybody. I was just saying goodbye to people just normally, uh, you know, after, before you go and travel. But I definitely was, I was selling all my equipment. I was just wanting to minimize in general. Like I thought that was something that I'd been wanting to do but she, in my life. she picked up on that and reached out to you, right? So she, she realized that there was maybe something amiss, right? Yeah, yeah. And we would have these great conversations. And another, another person, Bill Carrier, who's not, he's a, he's a 1990 grad. He helped me through this. And he, he's a, he's a, he's an executive coach. Mm. And he would, now that I'm looking back, he would take the time and he would, he would walk me through being positive and he was doing it in such a genuine way. And he was so patient with me because I was such a cynical guy at the time. Like this is, this shit's not going to work. Mm. I was just so pissed at the world. I was pissed that I, 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 I couldn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. And I knew a lot of, most of it was because of me. Because I wasn't, I wasn't groomed to, or, or I, I didn't grow up with the right sensibilities. I was, you know, I was an impatient guy. I, I had a lot of faults and, it, you know, and that was me. And I, but I just didn't, I, I, I was, I, I was in a place where I felt like, why, why am I even here? Why, why do I even want to be on this earth? Because mm -hmm. 
I'm not built to to survive. I don't have the the support system. I I didn't grow up to be successful. It was like I I should have never been alive. Is how I saw it. And 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 Bill Carrier and 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 Debbie, they were so sweet to me and so kind and so gentle and patient. And so talking about parting words, I feel like. I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing a little bit more of that. I'm, I'm reconnecting with you know some of my like uh, Matt Passvogel, who's a who was my who is my teammate at, at school. We're we've we we've been talking in a way with, with, that we've never talked when we were at school. I'm talking with you. Mm-hmm. I never got to know you. I knew you know we we saw each other all the time, and you were obviously in a, around all the time, right? And and we never got to know each other. And I feel like. We need to do that. So here's like, not to make an excuse, but one of the challenges I think of the last 20 some odd years is that everybody just had their head. Totally. No doubt about it. Family. I'm not blaming anybody. No, no, no. But here's what I'm saying is that we have a moment here. Like we're coming up on our 30 year reunion. We're at this point in our lives where we've, you know, got some level of maybe flexibility that we didn't have like 10, 15 years ago. Like that was the time. We have this amazing network of people that we share this experience with uh, four years at West Point, five or 10 or 30 years in the army, a lot of commonality. We're there for each other. We got a lot of classmates that are going through this very difficult, challenging thing where they're transitioning out of the military. You know, something that they, they only have known this, like we got to yeah. be there for them. Like this is a moment for us, I think, for really to be there for each other and to be vulnerable. And I, I, I'm so grateful to you Vince, for not putting up this bullshit like facade that everybody does about their career and patting their chest about how, how great things are because things aren't always so great, you know? We have to be there. Like, we have seen each other at these difficult points in our lives when we were, you know, going through West Point, but so we shouldn't feel like we have to put up these, this, this, this brick force, you know, wall um, for each other, you know, we got to be there for each other. And so I think, I think that's one of the things too, is that if you've, if, if you've been a person who've been, who's been a leader and outwardly had to be someone who's, who is proactively moving forward or motivating people to move forward. Yeah. I, I, and I finally learned this in the last year or so is that it's okay to be, to be yourself. I was never myself. My, the, no, I was, there were glimpses of myself. And sometimes I had to force that to, 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 to others just to be myself. But I was never fully myself. And look, we're in the second half of our lives. Life is short. You might as well just be who you are. Because when you when you're who you are, you then start to you then start to, to to attract the people who love and want you for who you are. There was a moment, Jamie, like a period in 2017 and 2018 that was very difficult for me because I knew I was like almost like bracing for the loss of friends, the loss of you know, where my career was going. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how I was going to deal with that because I was always someone who, again, 
didn't have a support system. So I was wanting to please people. I wanted to do the right thing for people. I didn't, I hated rejection. I hated criticism. And it only, it, 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 I finally, when I, when I put the piece, like when I put the piece out there, the one that you read, that was a very, very huge moment for me because I knew at that moment who were my friends were gonna be and who was either gonna connect and who wasn't gonna connect. And the thing is that I wasn't gonna get negative criticism. What I was gonna get was silence. And I see that. I see, I've noticed who's silent and who's not. And I, I very specifically go, oh, you're not saying anything. Gotcha. But there are people like you, there are people like Debbie, there are people like Bill Carrier, there are people like Matt Passful, there are people like Jeff DeLulo who are connecting with me and finally saying, I hear you, brother. Yeah. It's a, it, I just have to say, it's a powerful piece and it's, it's so, so well written. I mean, not, nice. not, to, not to digress for a second, but there's no way you failed Cal, Cal English like some of our classmates. I mean, <laughs> you are a tremendous writer. What a tremendous gift. What a gift you have for, for bringing this forward, you know, this type of you know, insight. And, and so I think that we can all learn. We will all learn from you, Vince, and we will all um, take your words tonight and I think find a way to connect more with each other. You know, if there's one thing we should be doing is connecting more with each other, especially in this pandemic. And let's just reach out. Let's make connections with our with our buddies, and you yeah, know, totally. and and, um, and and really kind of do like a buddy check. You know, let's, yeah. let's and check in. Somebody that you talk to all the time. Connect to somebody that you, that you haven't talked to in years. Totally. You know? Check in. That's a big one. Check in. Just yeah. check in. Yeah. Check in. So and check it. Check in with conscientiousness. Don't just say hello. Mm -hmm. Don't just go. How are you? Hey, what's up? Even if you hear, oh, I'm doing fine. Get to know. Like, ask the question. Just ask questions. Mm -hmm. Get to know that person. It's so important. I I feel like, and I'm so I'm grateful that I'm getting like me getting to know you, talking to you, getting to know Matt, getting to know jeff in a, in a very honest way and it's like my god that's how i wanted to feel being in the top bunk mm -hmm. i'd always wanted to have that those kinds of conversations where i be we'd be up at three in the morning and just talk and be honest and so here we are which is awesome and i that's where we need that's that's where it needs to go and thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you. for the, Imagine the party we're going to have when we get to finally have our 30th reunion. We're going to be like shot out of a freaking cannon. You know, it's coming this year. It's, it's going to be the end of, end of September or the end of October. Oh, wait. Is that this year? Oh, this yeah. This year, man. This is like nine months away. Oh, my God. We're, that, that's right. It is our 30th. Yeah. Scott Clemenson is still trying to figure the whole thing out. We're going to know oh, soon. God. But just FYI, it's coming down the pike. I hope we get a lot of people coming for that. So, um, Vince, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up here. All stay right, on the line, and everybody else who's who's on the uh, Zoom call, please stay on the line. I'm gonna I'm gonna end the Facebook uh, live thing. To our yeah. classmates, this is our most well attended 
uh, old grad podcast, I think ever. Really? So, yeah, we've had we've had anywhere wow. from 24 to 35 people at any like there's probably been 50 or 60 people that have checked in. In fact, I know because people were complaining the bandwidth got limited at some point, so they yeah. weren't able to get on and jump back on. So you'll be able to listen to this on Podbean. We're also now on Spotify. We're on nice. Apple Podcasts. We're always awesome. Yeah. I didn't even get to talk about being in the film business. So I know we didn't talk about we talked about. I know. About, I know. We need to do a part two. Who's the who's the most challenging person you've ever had to manage on a set? Who's like who's like give me one or two like crazy stories of like of of having to manage. So there's a different levels of of managing, right? When I, I, you know, now as a first assistant director, um, so I, as a first assistant director, I'm basically the the general on set, right? The EXO, if you will. But so do you know, I don't know if people have watched this, I've watched uh, Dave. Do you know Dave? Do you know the show Dave? I know just because I followed your your Facebook uh, feed. It's like it's a comedy, right? Uh, yeah, he so it's a Jewish guy, a Jewish rapper named Lil Dicky. His real name is Dave. Basically, it's curb your enthusiasm if he was a rap the rapper if he was a white of a Jewish rapper. Dave's super neurotic, you know, he'll, he wants what he wants. And you, you know, like, for example, you, you'll be on a set and he'll see a couch that's red and the costume is red and he'll see it clashing and you have to replace the couch right away. Wait, wait, so, so this guy is like, so he's, so he's kind of ad living like the way that um, the guy from Kirby Enthusiasm did. Yeah, but it's not. It's 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 all scripted. Oh, it is okay. But he's but he's real high maintenance, basically. For you, as a as the as a director, trying to manage all these different things like the- yeah, and he 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 gets what he wants. So he's high maintenance. He could not be high maintenance just in the way of you know when you I'm prompting questions to ask him about the set or asking about the schedule that he won't want to answer in the moment to save time. And we'll just answer while we're on set. And all of a sudden we have to change things right away. Like, like moving, like, like getting a new couch. And, you know, like it, I'm, 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 I'm simplifying, I'm simplifying the situation, but he, he was, he, he's very difficult. He was very difficult. Look, they're all difficult, man. Yeah. You had Johnny Depp, right? You had to manage Johnny, Johnny Depp and. So Johnny. Sure. Sh- I did. So I did a movie with Charlie Theron and Johnny Depp called Astronaut's Wife. It was 19, I was a DGA trainee. I wasn't even like one of the main organizers. I was someone, I just started my film career. I was, uh, I was managing what they call base camp. So base camp is where all the trailers are, Hair and makeup is hair and makeup and wardrobe is where all the actors are. So I basically would knock on the the door and get Johnny to set or get him through hair and makeup and that sort of thing. And Johnny had just come off of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which was his, you know, his 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 magnus opus. Because mm-hmm. he, he wanted he he really wanted to be personify Hunter S. Thompson. So 
he went super method acting. He did the mescaline. He had a great time with the director. Um, who's a, a, I forget, John Gilliam? I forgot his first name. Anyway, so that was a big movie. And so to come to do our little, you know, $6 million uh, Rosemary's Baby in Space, he was just doing it for, as a favor for the producers. So I, I'll give you one story before we leave. So the first day on set, he plays an astronaut. And the first day on set, we're at a, a museum, this, this cool looking museum. And um, we, we do the scene and, and action. And he starts talking with a, with a Southern accent. Not a, not, not a specific dialect of a Southern accent, but like as if, if you made a Southern accent right now, that's right. what he did. Right. And the director, who was the first time, who was the first time director, he goes, cut, 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 cut. Um, and he was a, 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 a nebbish Jewish guy. Like he wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a street smart kind of guy. He, and he was intimidated by John. He said, so I, I didn't imagine that he would have a, a Southern accent. Why would you? And there was no discussion prior to that. John decided he was just going to do that. And he said something to the effect of, well, I, I kind of felt he was sort of like, I don't know, like from Nebraska, like, you know, he had, he, he had like worked on a farm and, 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 you know, kind of, I think he was thinking channeling the right stuff in his head. Right. But he wanted to do the Southern accent. And he goes, well, I, I felt like this was, this is a guy that was, you know, like uh, had been, you know, like cutting trees his, his whole life or, 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 or like, you know, harvesting wheat or that sort of thing. And, <laughs> and, and so I was thinking, what does that have to do with having a Southern accent? <laughs> and Nebraska, they don't have to accent. Yeah, right, totally. And then, and, but that's what Johnny did for the entire movie was he was just being so impish. Yeah. The next, that scene was supposed to be a, 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 a romantic scene in which he was flirting. He was basically going to be um, having sex with his wife in the back of some museum exhibit. So in that scene, we go action and he says to Charlize and this and Charlize at the time was not famous. She had she had done. These, was she playing his wife? Yes. So Charlize played his wife and she had only done she was she had only done Mighty Joe Young as a lead. And then she was that I don't know if you ever saw the movie um, That Thing You Do. Uh, it was with Tom Hanks and it was like about a band. Right. And she played the dentist or she played the girlfriend of one of the band members. And she had literally five lines. So this was a big role for her. She's getting work with Johnny Depp. And so she's in this scene, they're about to kiss. And he goes in his Southern accent. It's not scripted. I can smell your coat. Everybody was like, what? Cut. And the director didn't know what to do with that, right? Obviously. But Johnny would just do shit like that because he was just, did not give a shit. And here's something that he would do that I don't know, nobody can repeat this, but he had, he had um, an ear wig that 
he didn't he didn't want to memorize his lines. He had somebody else off camera talking in this walkie-talkie and just giving him his lines. And he got that technique from Marlon Brando because Marlon Brando would do that. If you ever like, for example, Google Godfather Marlon Brando, there will be, you can see behind the scenes, there's, there's, there, there'll be, there will be shots of like, for example, um, he's off, Marlon Brando is off of uh, Al Pacino and Al Pacino has taped the dialogue on his chest that he can read. Cause Marlon Brando felt that by reading it or by, 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 uh, by just reading it fresh, it was going to give an, a more authentic uh, performance. So I can't watch a Johnny Depp movie anymore. Because you know he's being fed the lines. I just don't, you know, like, it's, it's, you know how they say never work with your heroes? Mm-hmm. So there, there are just some folks that I just, I can't watch their stuff. So, uh, by the way, this is extending beyond our, our yeah. hour and a half live. That's fine. I mean, it's no problem. And people can cycle off and catch it tomorrow, whatever they want to do. We still have 22 people that are listening. But because I'm a total juvenile, I have to ask you this question, right? Because I'm a, I'm a total juvenile. And I apologize for being yeah. insensitive, but so you're having a sex scene with like uh, Charlize Theron, Theron. Theron and Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. So like, does she, is she just running around naked? Like, do you see her? No, no, no. no. You, the, the set's closed, meaning that, you know, you're, you're, we're very, very, uh, very sensitive about that. Like you, you can't, the, the set's closed, they'll build the kind of like, but you're yeah. the director, don't you get to see? Yeah. Yes. Yeah? You get to see. Well, you're a professional, so it's not a big deal. You don't. Yeah. You, you just, you don't, you try not, you don't watch. You don't, you Can watch I be the your monitor. Intern? Can I be your intern? Yes, you time to go there yes, and like, uh, yeah. I'll bring your coffee and you let me, uh... yeah. no, I mean, that's got to be bizarre though, right? Like, it is bizarre, right? Think about it. Like you, you, so you're in a robe and then you take out your robe action and then and you're you, buck, you say action and you really get action yeah and the guy's wearing a sock what they call an intimacy sock well, what is that it's just like well what, what does that even mean right i mean you it's not you're still it's still there right? oh it's, not, it's not like you're tucking it in or whatever i don't care about the intimacy sock like the intimacy sock i'm right i'm like like so, so what are some of the, who are some of the other actors and actresses that you see naked? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu, okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, I, there, there are, I mean, you just have to look on my IMDb. I don't know. I mean, I, there's so many scenes, like house scenes I've, I, I've seen. Yeah, of course. I've seen Hugh naked. I mean, I'm not staring at him, but you know, yeah, got to get on set, and he's not quite. That's got to be bizarre. That has got to be bizarre. You're so like, used to it, you know. It's nice. It's, it's just another day in the office for you, right? It's, it's not- crazy. It's crazy. It's a circus, man. Yeah, that's that's funny. You know, one of the things I found about the Old Grab podcast, and I need to do better at doing this. This behind the scenes stuff, people eat this shit up. They love hearing like these kind of things, like yeah. stuff that you, you wouldn't necessarily know about. Yeah. And um, the other thing too that I think is just, you know, podcasts have exploded in popularity. This is clearly 
uh, a powerful medium medium because of the ability like you, we, if you had just you know wrote down everything you said you wouldn't have the you wouldn't have the nuance and the tone yeah, the, the emotion the back and forth and it's such a such an amazing um uh new way to to kind of capture i feel like the 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 best podcasts that i know that i love always feel like you're two beers in Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're at a happy hour, just right. shooting the shit. Yeah, right. I have, I have to do, I have to do a little better about, the, you know. So, I, I meant, I'll mention to, to you about this is that I have been thinking about sunsetting this podcast this year, with you know coming up to our 30 year reunion. It'd be yeah. kind of a, 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 oh, really? Okay. I was just thinking about it, um, and I had also been approached by AOG. They want me to create the old grad podcast for West Point writ large. I mean, change it, not be as, you know, um, irreverent. I won't be asking people about who they see naked and stuff like that, but um, they want me to do this for for all the grads. Like, you know, to talk to like Stan McChrystal and Bob, Bob McDonald and Denny Reimer and, all, you know, and, and, and also mm. just like, not yeah. And so I was thinking about that. And then, and then, you know, then Totes died. And we have this beautiful, this beautiful piece of his memories and his voice. And I don't think I'm, I, I think I'm going to just keep, keep doing this old grab podcast with just our classmates. Um, you know, maybe we'll do something different for, for AOG, but this is such a great thing to be able to connect with people and have this. Dude. And you, you know, like what I love about them, like one, I remember specifically the Holly Fishburne one where she talked about blowing posts. Right. Right. And I thought, yes, that's, those are the stories I want to know. Right. Right. Like the, the vulnerability of being honest and just being a goddamn human being in this, in this world, in this, especially at West Point where it's all about appearances and, and, and doing, you know, being struck and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I'd been wanting to, I'd been wanting to do a series. I went wanting to do a TV series about that, and I can never, I can never, never pitch it properly because nobody mm-hmm. got it. Because, because you know, when you pitch West Point, when you talk to people at West Point, they don't see what we know. Right. Right. They don't. I mean, that's the thing that that how surreal it it could be. Right. The show could be surreal in that. Here on the outside, you have this image, like outside the walls, mm-hmm. and then you go inside the walls, and it's a circus. It's its own circus, right? And even like within, like people think West Point is West Point, but even in West Point, we had our own different regionalism of right. of right. what the yeah. school was, right? Yeah, I think about that, and, I, and and having like having the conversation with um, with like Ingrid Powell about being uh, an African American woman at West Point. Yeah, you know, and 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 talking to uh, Brian Mackey about being a December grad, which is another whole. Experience. Oh sure, sure. So yeah, right. I want to unpack all those things, but. Um, so Vince, this has been so much fun. I knew that oh. we were going to run long. I mean, I knew yeah. that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it, this was just a 
powerful conversation. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for your friendship. I'm looking forward to continuing oh, thanks, to talk to you more. I'm yeah, looking brother. forward to having you at the 30th reunion yeah, man. And, 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 and really spending time. And I'm so grateful to that. You know, you've talked about this, this dark, this dark point in your life and I'm having you in this world is so important. And so, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that things have turned around for you and that you have this, you have, I had, this I had a great, I had, you know, I, I have a lot of people to thank for that, you know, and I couldn't have done it without the, those people. I mean, Debbie, I can't thank her enough for, for reaching out to me. You know, like I can't thank her enough for having sitting there, having, I remember pulling over to the side one day she called and I just answered the phone. We just had a long conversation. I'm sure she had like, you know, she had, she had, had her, her own sort of issues that she was dealing with relative to her son. And she just sat there and it was, that was like the butterfly moment for me. The butterfly moment. I'm going to end on that, on that. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up our Facebook feed. You stick around. Um, Thank you for that butterfly moment. This has been one big butterfly moment. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.